The uh, story is told of the day the uh, Lone Ranger and his trusted sidekick, Tonto, were riding north through a canyon. At the end of the canyon, they saw a band of Indians dressed in war paint above the cliff. Tonto looked at the Lone Ranger and said, What do we do now, Kimosabi? He said, Well, let's head east. And so they head east to avoid confrontation, and the same awaits them at the end of the canyon. Again, Tonto looks at the Lone Ranger, and he says, What do we do now, Kimosabi? And the Lone Ranger says, Tonto, let's head west. And so they head west. They get to the end of the canyon, and sure enough, at the end of the canyon, there's more Indians. He says again, what do we do now? And he says, well, we've gone north, we've gone east, we've gone west. We need to head back south the way that we came. And they head south, and they go back down the canyon. At the end of the canyon, sure enough, there's another band of hostile Indians dressed in war paint and ready to attack. And now it's this time... The Lone Ranger looks at Tano and he says, Well, Tano, my long and trusted friend, we've gone north, we've gone south, we've gone east-west, and we're surrounded by Indians, and it looks like we're going to have to fight for our lives. What should we do? Tonto looks at the Lone Ranger and he looks around at all the Indians, and he says, We? What do you mean, we, pale face? <clears throat> you know, it's been said that uh, desperate t- people will do desperate things. And, uh, you know, some, as in our opening story, will even turn on longtime friends and others will resort to criminal activities or do whatever they feel that's necessary to protect themselves. And uh, in that desperation, they do desperate things. But, you know, desperation, however, does not need to lead to wrong behavior, but can actually lead a person closer to God and also to take actions that are pleasing in God's sight. You know, today and next Sunday, I want to share with you some of the lessons or spiritual insights that I believe that I've learned and I'm still learning as uh, we, and when I speak of we, I speak of myself and my wife, Linda, and our family and our friends and also you, you know, as as, uh, fellow believers and members of our congregation that we're learning, hopefully together as God is taking us on this journey, this ride, this this, uh, cancer coaster, as I've called it. And I want to share how God has guided us uh, through this particular time. You know, the Bible says, as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, Romans 8, 14. And uh, God faithfully leads us even when we find ourselves in unfamiliar and often uncomfortable territory. And maybe you find yourself there today in this unfamiliar, this uncomfortable territory. You're at a point in life that you've never experienced before and You know, and you hear what I'm saying, that God leads us even in the midst of this uncomfortable territory, this unfamiliar place. You know, and and as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they truly are sons of God. And you may be saying to yourself, well, if God's leading me, something must be wrong. Because either he doesn't know how to read a map, you know, I don't know how to follow him, or you know what, I must be out of his will Because if God is leading me, why do I keep getting off on these, uh, as I've got them noted on here, on these detours? Why do I keep hitting dead ends? And why do I keep coming across these dry holes where there's no water to refresh me? And that's the outline that we're going to use today and in our time next time. So don't get nervous if you're following along today and you're going, hey, oh, hey, hey. He's he's still at number one. So, but that's that may be okay this time. Uh, So anyway, we're going to look at that because I I believe the insight into, you know, how do we end up with these detours? How do we end up, you know, with these dead ends and these dry holes? 
And I believe, I truly believe that the answer, the insight concerning this is found in the Word of God. Because we're going to learn that God does lead us. That we are on God's highway. And that it's a journey to joy with Jesus Christ as our companion, the Holy Spirit as our guide, and also the Bible as our roadmap. And, uh, and, and yet at the same time, we'll see that many times on this journey, things don't exactly turn out the way that we expect. You know, we're cruising along, we're going down the road, and all of a sudden we hit this detour, and it's like, well, wait a minute, what's going on? And then once the detour is corrected, then next thing we hit a dead end. And you go, but God, I, you know, I thought we were following your lead. You know, I, I thought we were following you, you know, and, and here we are, and we're at a place that I didn't envision on this, this path that we were on. And so what I want to do is, is look at how often at times in life where God leads us, we think he turns off the light, you know, and we're stumbling around in the darkness. And, and I, want to, I want us to look at an example from how he led the, the ancient Israelites on their journey throughout the wilderness and then also on their journey into the land that God had promised them. And so if you've got your Bibles with me, turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. In verses 17 through 22, we're going to learn how God led his people uh, from desperation to dependence. And that really is what this journey is all about. From desperation to dependence upon God and trust in his will. Exodus 13, we pick up the account in verse 17. It says, Now it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, lest the people change their mind when they see war and they return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God shall surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they sent out from Succoth and, and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. You know, the first discovery I want, to, want all of us to see concerning how God leads his people is really the, is found in this particular passage, what I call the discipline, the discipline of detours. And if you're going through it and you want to follow along in an outline, you might want to underline in verses 17 and 18 where we look at this. We're told in verse 18 specifically two words that captured my attention when I was going through the verse. And it said that hence God led the people around by the way. If you want to underline way or the way. And also the, the words the wilderness. You know, if you look at those two important words, we get insight as to how God leads. In, in these verses, we're told that he led his people. In the New American Standard, it says, around by the way. The Amplified says the same thing. The King James calls it, calls it about the way. And the New, uh, New International Version says, God led them around. And the point is, though the shortest distance between two points, we're told is a straight line. God saw it necessary to take them on a detour. 
And it wasn't a mistake. God didn't lose a sense of direction. There was a divine detour with a definite purpose. And really, it could be translated that, that God took them and basically, literally, led them around in circles for a while. You know, and we're told that the shortest distance was these two points, and yet God saw that, you know what, it wasn't the, the, the wisest course, it wasn't the best path to pursue at this particular point in time. And so God, in His sovereignty and His understanding and His knowledge, said, you know what, it, it's better that I led them around, and I took them around in circles for a little while, because I know what's best. You know, and I thought about that when I was reading this, how God has taken us around in circles. And it seems like we had a straight line or this course that was set. And it was about five months after the founding of our church that I was approached by Pastor Brian Crow, who left me a voice message on my phone uh, as to whether or not I would be interested in meeting with them and discuss the possibilities of our church purchasing their church property. And it wasn't more than three to four weeks into our conversations that I was diagnosed with cancer. And we thought, well, what's going on? I mean, we had, you know, we had the straight line. We had the approach. We know where we were going. And now, God, all of a sudden, you're, 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 you're throwing this, this detour. And what is it? And what are you doing? And, and there was some confusion in my mind and in the, in the minds of those on our board. And, you know, and I'm sure in Brian's mind and other folks' minds. And, and uh, you know, when Brian asked me in, in the course of this, he said, Chuck, he goes, what do you think this means? What does this mean? And uh, I said, you know what? I don't know. But I do know this, that with or without me, our church family still needs a home. And he said something to me that I will always appreciate and I'll never forget. And he said, Chuck, he goes, that's all I needed to hear. And we continued moving forward. And we moved ahead. And the point as I thought of this passage and I thought about our conversations is that God always has a purpose in his detours. There is no panic in heaven, only plans. And I want to emphasize that to all of us today. You may find yourself wandering around in circles and you think that, you know, somehow God is panicking. And I want you to understand from Scripture, we realize and recognize because we have insight into who God is and his character and his understanding, and his knowledge of who we are as well. And there's no panic in heaven, only plans. God wasn't panicking about me getting cancer. It was all part of his plan. Do we understand all the the significance and the detail and all the minutia that's involved in it? No, not at all. But he reveals to us on a need-to-know basis what it is that he's doing. and And he supplies that knowledge and this understanding as we move forward in our relationship with him. There are no there are no there is no panic. There is never panic in heaven. Only God's plans. And looking at our text, we're told God led his people around about or took them the longer way because he could see what they could not see. If they had gone on the straight path, they would have encountered opposition that they weren't ready to confront They would have ran straight ahead and we're told they would have ran straight ahead into the warlike Philistines whose very presence would have scared these people straight back to bondage into Egypt. And that wasn't God's plan for their life. 
God's plan was to free them from bondage. God's plan was to give them something He had promised to their forefathers. God's plan was this promised land that He had ahead for them. And He knew that if they went on the straight path, that they would have come across opposition that they weren't ready to handle. They weren't ready to endure. They were a ragamuffin group of people that were just being led out of slavery. And there was no organization. They had no army. They had no skills. They weren't ready for the opposition. And God said, if they go straight, even though they think straight is the best way to go, it'll destroy them and it'll turn them back. And they'll rather accept bondage than trust me in the plans and promises I have for them. And so in order to fulfill my promises for them, I've got to do what's best. And you know what's best? I throw a little detour in here now and we take them around in a circle. And I love the insight that I get from that because I can rest and have confidence and so can you and assurance that when we run into detours, you know what? It's all part of God's plan and don't get all panicky. And we wait upon the Lord. And those who wait upon the Lord, He renews our strength. And we mount up with wings like eagles. We run and we don't get weary. We walk and we don't faint. We look at this and we get all excited because we recognize and, and, and see God's hand in everything. You know, and they would have went back to Egypt and that wasn't God's plan. And they would have been, as I, as, as I was thinking this, they would have been dismayed, discouraged and defeated. And that would have been a whole different sermon for my uh, topic sermon. So from, dependence, from desperation to dependency would have been from, you know, dismayed, discouraged and, dis- and defeated. You know, and what a wonderful thing it is to never doubt God. He sees what we cannot see. His ways are not our ways. We want to take, you know, and let's be honest, we want to take the quickest, most comfortable route to spiritual maturity, but God often takes us on a detour in the process. See, the long way is God's way. Because he knows we're not quite ready for some things he has in store for our, for our life. I can recall years ago, 15 years ago or more, where I would have people come to me in, in the process of teaching a Bible study at the time. And the Bible study was growing and they would come to me and say, hey, you know what? When are you going to pastor a church? And I never had a sense that it was God's timing. I never had a peace about that was where God wanted me. Linda didn't have that peace. I didn't have that peace. And it was just no clarity that that was God's will for my life. And so for 15 more years and continuing to serve him and, and hopefully being faithful in what he's called us to do, it became more and more evident as time went on. And God took us through a process. And it wasn't a straight line. It was seemingly wandering around in circles and, and going on these detours and having discussions with people and hours and hours of these, these intense and, and, and frustrating and, and, and exhausting conversations. And it seemed like at the end of all of it, we would meet and discuss things for hours and hours at a time. And I would come home and Linda would say, how did the meeting go? And I'd say, I don't know. And she said, well, what, do you just, what did you discuss And I say, I couldn't tell you. And she said, well, what took so long? I said, I couldn't even tell you that. And I'd be like, what? And it was like, God, what are you doing? 
And now, as I go through this passage, you know, there's this clarity that it was like, I know what I was doing. I was walking around in circles and in the wilderness and God had a purpose and a plan behind all of it. And in the, in the, and, and I was as, just as ignorant of God's plans, I believe, as the Israelites were when they were walking around in circles because we have the completed word of God and they were living it out at the time. We can look in hindsight and see what it was that they were going through and what was God was doing. But they didn't understand it then. And as far as they were concerned, it's like, man, you're just taking us out in the wilderness and you're walking us around in circles. And we're going to see that as we go through this account where they would start moaning and groaning about, man, why don't you just leave us in Egypt? At least we got up when we knew where we were working for the day and we knew what time lunch break was. And we knew, you know, it was like, that's not, that wasn't God's plan, but they were comfortable in their misery. And have you ever found yourself there comfortable in your misery? It's like, well, you know what? I'm miserable, but I'm comfortable in it. And I really don't like change. And even if God has something better, I'd rather stay miserable because at least I know what to expect. But that's not God's plan and purpose for our life. But so many of us settle for that. You know, as we look at this, you know, I believe that God is using the blessing of cancer in my life because he's using it to make me into the kind of shepherd that he wants me to be. And he's also using it in your lives to make all of us into the kind of church that he wants us to be. A church that is desperately dependent upon him. A church that is on our knees. A church that is compassionate towards the needs of other people. That can emphasize with those who are hurting and empathize with them that maybe before could never understand what they were going through. A church that is, is caring, loving, considerate, and kind. I have seen God do that work in my life. I hope that you see it. And I hope that you see what he's doing in your life. Because it's such a blessing to stand here and see how he is conforming all of us into the image of his son. To see bitterness about stupid things being put on the back burner because there's more important things that need to be dealt with. I can remember when we first started and to hear some of the anger and the bitterness about song selections and to realize that, you know what? It's not that important anymore, is it? Who sits in what chair and how chairs are laid out and what table who gets and who gets prominence and preeminence in certain things. And I see how God has just said, you know what, I'm going to take you out and I'm going to take you on a detour because you aren't going to be able to reach this community that I've provided property for you until you become more compassionate and you become more sensitive and you become more caring and you become more loving And you become focused on what's important in life. And you stop majoring in the minors. And you put your focus on my will and my purposes. And for that I say to him, praise God for my cancer. See, God's ways are not our ways. His route to salvation is not man's way. The Bible says it's by God's grace that we're saved through faith. And it's not of works. 
We live in a world that says you can work your way into the presence of God, do enough good things, give enough money, belong to this church, read this book, read that book, follow our instructions, follow our directions. And there's a way that seems right to men, but its end is destruction. The way that seemed right to Israel was to take the straight and narrow path. They would have been destroyed. They would have been annihilated. They would have been obliterated. They would have been frightened into returning back to something that God had no longer wanted in their life. And said, I've got something better for you. In order for you to understand it, I'm going to have to take you out and walk you around in circles for a while. But you know what? Pay attention. Listen up. Because school is always in session. What are you learning? What are you learning? I hope that we're all learning. I hope we're all taking notes. I hope that we're all applying the things that God is teaching us in our life. One by one, those things that God wants us to do. To become conformed into the image of His Son. See, God's ways aren't our ways. From salvation to every other area. And it is not an easy way. It is never easy to submit to God's will for our life. Because sin nature says, I want to do it my way. And God says, no. Until you do it my way, it won't get done. And I can't use you. See, it's not easy. And if you recall, I ask you to underline two words. And the second word is wilderness. And from the wilderness, I, I get the idea behind uh, God's boot camp. You know, God takes his people on a detour so we don't arrive at our destination too early and under-equipped. And I believe that 15 years ago it would have been too early and I would have been far too much under-equipped to be a pastor. Two years ago, it was God's timing, but I was under-equipped. And I think God is equipping me as I continue to go on this journey with Him step by step. And so I'm excited about what He has promised for all of us in the future. What all those details are, I don't know. But I do know this, that God takes His people on a detour so we don't arrive at our destination too early and under-equipped. And uh, God's training ground would make, uh, and I was thinking about this because I've been to, you know, God has, has, has given me the opportunity years ago when I worked with the Rams to spend time at, uh, you know, a National Football League training camp on a regular basis year after year and to be there for Bible study and see what was going on. And, you know, a National League training, Football League training camp is, is, is a pretty tough place to be. Those guys just get beat up. And it is tough. It's in the middle of summer. It's hot. It's humid. It's nasty. And you've got 120 guys showing up for what ends up being 53 spots. And they are just killing each other trying to make the roster. And they are just being pounded. And I think, man, that's a tough training camp. Then I go to baseball spring training and it's a little bit different. But you still got the same competitiveness but it's not quite the same intensity as far as, you know, guys pounding each other. But they know that, you know, there's a whole bunch of them there and there's only a handful of spots. And I've made jokes about it because when I go into the locker room, there'll be, you know, the lockers on this side and all the guys' names are up like in permanent, you know, uh, etchings, you know, where they've got their name above their locker. And then you got this side and everybody's name's on there with duct tape. And so, you know, if you're on this side and your name's in duct tape, it doesn't look good. But... Uh, and I also know that, you know, by the time I come in the next time, like, this may be all cleared out. But it's a training camp nonetheless. And, and what, what I've understood is that, you know, guys go to training camp, and while they hate it, they know it's necessary. It's a necessary evil. And I feel the same way about God's training camp. I don't enjoy this. 
but I know that it's necessary. And so there's a certain resignation that comes along with it. But one of the things that just, you know, stood out, and it was the first passage that jumped in my mind, and I'm thinking that it might have jumped to some of your minds as well. But when I came across this word wilderness, the first thing I thought of was that Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. And in Matthew 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And I thought, you know, even if God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in His humanity and yet fully divine, was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness, a place that was barren, a place that was dirty, a place that was dusty, a place that was hot, a place that created thirst and hunger. And if God's will was to lead Jesus, His Son, into the wilderness. And it is God's will that you and I, as those who have repented of sin and trusted in Jesus Christ and have been born again by the will of God, not by our own efforts, if it's God's will that you and I become conformed into the image and the likeness of His Son, don't miss the connection here. If God led His Son into the wilderness and we are to be like Jesus... God will lead us into the wilderness as well. See, don't miss the fact that Jesus was led into the wilderness. And we see this confrontation that came with the devil. And we see that God used it as a time to reveal the strategies of our enemy. And it's through our wanderings and our detours that God uses this time to reveal the strategy of our enemy. That we're to be alert to those strategies. We see that time in Job's life where Job was led through the wilderness or these detours. Because one of the strategies behind the scene of the enemy was that the enemy would get God's people to say, Hey, you know what? I don't trust you anymore, God. Curse God and die. That's what he wanted to see happen. And so I know from God's word and from from what he reveals to me is that, Chuck, as you're going through this wilderness, as you're wandering around in these circles, as you're going through this cancer coaster that you're on, our enemy, your enemy, wants to cause you, to tempt you, to entice you, to say, you know what, God, if this is what you've got for me, then what kind of God are you? And you know what? And I'm not going to let it happen because I know the Word of God and I will choose to praise Him rather than to ever doubt Him. I will choose to ask Him, what is it that you want to accomplish through my life rather than to ask Him, why, God, are you putting me and my family and our church and all of us through this? Because I know from the Word of God I can trust God. There is no panic in heaven, only purpose. There is a reason behind everything that He does. And because of that, I am content and following His will and His leading and His guidance in my life. And I pray that we all are as a church as well. Because God has a purpose behind everything that He does. It was in the wilderness, this place of hardness and thirst and rugged terrain, oppressive heat, that God led Jesus to expose the strategies of the enemy and to reveal the identity of the Savior to us. Our circumstances do not determine who we are. Our circumstances reveal to ourselves and to others who we are. Do not allow your circumstances to determine who you are. 
But allow your circumstances to reveal to yourself and to others who you are. And I praise God that through this time of wandering in the wilderness, that God has revealed to me that I am truly one of his kids. What a blessing that is. What a wonderful thing to praise him. Back to Exodus chapter 13. The wilderness is God's boot camp, place of discipline. It's a place where he led Israel. It's a place where he leads us to toughen his people for the challenges ahead. We've got a lot of work ahead of us as a church. And God is taking us through a boot camp right now, getting us ready for what he has in store for us. Every athlete understands the need for basic training. Training camp. Every soldier understands the need for basic training. Do they like it? Haven't met one that said they did. Did they understand it? Yes. It's about time that all of us as God's people understand and accept the need to go through God's boot camp and understand and accept the discipline of detours in our life. Do you recognize and accept that God's ways are not our ways? His thoughts are not our thoughts. To become conformed in the image of his son, to be more like Jesus, we must travel the same path that he traveled. And if you'll recall, that path was one of suffering. That path was one of death before resurrection and ultimately before glory. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Because here's some guys that struggled with God's direction and leading in their life. And they had it all mapped out. They had it as we would have it. Short, straight, right to the point. The simple route. The straight and narrow. And James and John in Mark 10 verse 35. The sons of Zebedee came up to him saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Well, there you go. You know, you got to love it. At least they get right to the point. You know, we we want God to do for us whatever we ask of him, but we don't really come right out and say that. We try to get a lot more spiritual about it. And they just said, hey, God, here's what we want. We want you to do for us whatever we ask you to do. And so Jesus said to them, well, what is it that you want for me to do? And they said to him, grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right and one on your left. They had the straight route all planned out. It's like we got it all figured out. When you enter your glory, when you establish your kingdom, we want to sit on the right. We want to sit on the left. Straight route. Go there. No problem. Way to go. And but you notice this. But Jesus said, but. Big but. Here you go again. Big butts of the Bible. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking for. He said, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we're able. Yeah. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. So that we have an understanding. Go to Mark chapter 14 verse 36 where it's clearly defined for us what that cup is and what that baptism is. In Mark 14 36 Jesus prayed in his hour of prayer saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for thee. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what thou wilt. What was the cup? The cup was his shedding of his blood. The cup was the suffering that was ahead. The baptism, as we say in our culture, that baptism by fire. 
Are you really able to follow in the path that I'm going to go? Are you really able to follow and give up your life, suffer and die for my sake? Are you really able and capable and willing to give up everything in your life to come after me and follow me, to pick up your cross daily, deny yourself and follow me? Are you really able to do that? And they said, oh yeah, no question about it. No ifs, ands, or buts. We're able to do that. He said, well, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. And you know what? And they did do it. Read the book of Acts, chapter 12. James and John were beheaded. They were slain. They were slain. Boom. Heads chopped off. Every one of the apostles, except for John, died a martyr's death. Every one of them went through the wilderness. Every one of them died, you know, just a horrible, brutal, physical death. And that was the journey and the path that God had chosen for them. So as we look at this, you know, we think about the Israelites, you know, back in Exodus chapter 13. They didn't know all that God had in store for them, but they didn't have to know. It was enough that God knew. And very likely the Israelites had never even heard of the Philistines. They didn't know what was out there ahead of them, but God did. And he knew they weren't ready to encounter them. And I thought about that for us today and... And I'm going to ask you some questions to ask of yourself. Maybe you've asked God for a certain job and you haven't got it. In the construction industry, guys bid jobs all the time and, you know, and it's like, man, we put a lot of work and effort into bidding that job and we didn't get that job or it hasn't been determined yet and, it's, and we didn't get it or, you know, you're always waiting. It's like, man, you know, maybe you're dating somebody and it's, relationship isn't going where you think it should go because you got a game plan. You know, here's we're going to date for this long and then we're going to get engaged and we're going to get married and then two years later we're going to have children and then three years after that, blah, blah, blah. And you got it all planned out, all mapped out, all gauged out. You know exactly what it is that you want. And all of a sudden you're walking around out here in circles. You, you, you know where the job career path you want to take. You know the education path you want to go. You know the relationship path that you want to have. You know the finances and you know how this is our game plan. We're going to retire at a certain age. We're going to have so much money all on the markets going up and down. And oh, it's not cooperating, but you know, it's like we're walking around and journeying and we're circling and God took us on a detour and wow, what in the world's going on? And all I can tell you is this, that every time that God takes us around on these circles and these detours, he wants us to become so desperate that we become dependent upon him. And not on our own ingenuity and not on our own game plan and not on our own things that we want to see happen and when we want to happen. Not on our own timing and not our own will. He wants to see us get to the point where we're so desperate and dependent upon God that we say, God, you know what? If this cup can't pass from me, nevertheless, your will be done and not mine. That's what he wants to see. And as much as you're going to hate to hear this, I'm going to tell you anyway. If you aren't where God, where you think you want to be, and God hasn't taken you to where you think you should be, don't let me burst your bubble here, but take this and write it down. Maybe it's because he knows you're not ready. You're not ready. And if you got what you wanted when you wanted it, it would destroy your life. And in his graciousness and his love, knowing you as he knows you, he says, I'm not going to let them get there because if they get there now, it'll destroy them. I think of guys I work with and minister that are professional athletes. 
And I praise God that some of these guys didn't get the contracts they got until later in life. Because if they had got it sooner, it would have destroyed them. I see guys it still destroys. And I see other guys and I say, Lord, thank you. Because if you would have done for them four years ago what you did for them now, they would have been absolutely destroyed by this. We have got to get to the point where we are content and at peace knowing that God is in control. When we don't get what we want when we want, and he takes us on that detour and wanders us around, that's okay because it's God's lobby and it's a great time to spend listening to his voice. Illustration of that. A couple of them. Several years ago, Linda and I were on a trip and we were coming home from, from Atlanta to fly back to LAX. And the plane is just firing off and going down the runway. And it is just ready. It's right at that point, and anybody that's traveled knows, you're right at that point where you're ready to take off. We don't. This guy hits the brakes, and we go, skidding down the runway. You know, whenever you look around the plane, everybody's got that death grip going for him. <laughs> and, you know, when he gets on, the pilot gets on, he's very calm, and he says, well, ladies and gentlemen, we decided to uh, abort our takeoff because one of the instrument lights up here in the panel indicated that our engine, one of our engines, uh, the light came on that there was something wrong with the engine. Well, if there was something wrong with the engine, we wouldn't have enough thrust to be able to take off and we wouldn't have been able to get off the ground properly. Which is a way of saying we would have lifted up and dropped like a rock. <laughs> and so he said, no, I'm sure there's nothing to be alarmed about, but we just need to pull back into the gate and just check it out. So we're sure it's a light. It'll be changed in a minute. Wasn't the light. It was the engine. We all get off the plane because they got to change the engine. Now, some people get upset and they get impatient. It's like, well, I can't believe we had to change an engine. What do we got to change an engine? Well, I listen, and I'm just listening and I'm going, now, what was the option here again? Did I miss something? I might have missed something. I could have missed something. You try to take off and you crash and burn, or you have a guy who's smart enough to say, a warning light goes on, heed the warning, pull into the gate, get everybody off the plane, get you on another plane. Inconvenient, yes, but crashing and burning, I think, is a lot more inconvenient than getting off the plane and having to go get our luggage. You know what I'm saying? How's that riding the ambulance coming along? But that's the way we are, and I think, you know what, hey, that, that's, that's what God's saying. God is like, Chuck, if a pilot is smart enough to abort a takeoff, Give me a little more credit. I'm God. I'm God. Can you believe that maybe God knows you're not ready yet? And you're waiting upon Him. Isn't that great? Moses wasn't ready. Forty years. Wandered around in the wilderness. Before God says, now you're ready. In our culture, we get so impatient and antsy. It's like, ready? I'm ready now. No, you're not. That's why the Bible says as far as being an elder in God's church, you know what? Never put a young person in that position, someone young in their faith. Because why? They're not ready. They're not seasoned. They're not experienced. They're not spiritually mature. They haven't seen God and they haven't seen how he, he interacts with them. They haven't had time to study his word. They haven't had time to experience life's difficulties and see God's comfort in the midst of all that. They're not ready. Don't put them in a position to fail. 
And the same thing is true in every other area of life. God knows you and I, and He knows there are times in our life where we think we're ready, and He says, you're not. Be content with that. The important thing is not that we always know where God is taking us, but that we know He knows and that we follow Him. Did you follow me? It's not important that we know where God is taking us. The only thing that's important is that we know He knows where He's taking us and that we follow Him. Amen? I don't know, and with that in mind, I don't know where God's taking me as I ride the cancer coaster. I have no idea. So far, it's been two groin surgeries, 32 radiation treatments, two surgeries on my right lung to remove five tumors, a surgery on my left lung to remove the lower lobe of my left lung, which could either be one tumor, which was really big, or three tumors, which were really big, added together. I've got three more tumors in my right lung. I had 32 chemo treatments and counting, and they still go on. And I don't know if I'm going to have another surgery on my right lung. I don't know if... I, I have no idea. And you know why I have peace in all of that? Because I know God knows. It's not important that I know. I know He knows. I know He's leading. I know I trust Him. And He'll get me wherever it is that He wants me to go. And I want all of us to have trust and, tr- and faith and, and peace and comfort in knowing that as well. It's okay. Because God knows. And I'm comfortable with that. And that leads us to verses 19 through 22. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God shall surely take care of you. And you shall carry my bones from here with you. We're reminded that, you know, although God's people were on a detour, they were not alone. And every minute detail of God's plan was being fulfilled. It says they went away in verse 18 in martial array. They went away in five by five, just lined up and marching and follow God's leading and direction. And I love that. You know why? Because it's a picture of order and not one of chaos and confusion. They didn't all run around doing their own thing. They had a leader that got appointed. They followed that leader. They were in martial array behind them. They weren't warriors yet. They weren't an army yet. They had no weapons yet. But they had order, they had order and they had purpose and they had structure. And they followed orderly behind. They weren't all running around doing their own thing. They weren't all trying to decide which way they should go. They knew God had put somebody to lead them in the per- person of Moses. They followed in that direction. They continued, as Paul says, from a spiritual standpoint, as far as the church has said, God has put a pastor, God has put elders, he has put leadership in, in, in every church, and he says, you know what, and, and we follow an orderly array behind them, always checking the scripture to make sure they're leading in a way that is right before God, but you know what, but we follow and we march behind and we accomplish the purposes that God has set forth for us to accomplish, and every little minute detail is brought out for us, where even Moses took the bones of Joseph, because Joseph said when he was dying, listen, Don't bury my bones here in Egypt because Egypt's not our permanent home. God has promised us a land. And when we're delivered to that land, then you take my bones and you bury them there. Because that is is a fulfillment of what God's promise was. And even though I don't live to see it, and all the book of Hebrews tells us, there are many of God's people who never lived to see the fruition of God's promises in their life. But they rested assured that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Even though they never lived to see the day, they knew the day would come come nonetheless because God's word was true and his promises will be fulfilled. And he said, take my bones with you and bury them there because I know we're going to get there. 
Isn't that great? And it's so awesome. I mean, it is so uplifting. It is so comforting. Every word in Scripture has meaning. He took his bones and they buried him there. And they set out from Sakath and they camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by the day to lead them on the way in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And I don't want us to miss this. From the very beginning, there was a central truth that was underscored. God led Israel in a unique and personal way. The living presence of God became a vital experience in their life. This passage speaks more of just a cloud by day and fire by night. It speaks of the very presence of God leading them on this journey, even though the journey involved a detour at this time. And so, how do we look at that today? For those of us who have recognized we're sinners... And we have turned from sin and we have trusted in Christ, his death on the cross, the power of his resurrection on our behalf. We've received him as our Lord and as our Savior. The Bible says the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus said that when I go, don't worry about it because I'm going to send a comforter to you. A guide will be with you. The Spirit of God indwells God's people and he guides us into all truth. He reminds us of the teachings of Christ. He guides us. He leads us. He restores us. He renews us. He takes us and he, and he says, listen, follow my lead. And just as Israel, because we have people here, I hear it all the time. You know, well, if God was leading me by a cloud in a day... And by fire at night, I wouldn't miss his leading. Listen, you've got the very presence of God living within you if you've trusted in Christ. And it's easy to say, how did they miss it? I say to you, how are you missing him? How are you missing his leading? How are you missing his guidance? How are you missing his direction? Some of us are wandering around in circles because we're disobedient to the leading of God in our life. Others are wandering around in circles because it is a predetermined plan of God that he does that. You need to discern why are you wandering around in circles? Is it because of sin in your life? Then repent and turn from it and then follow God's lead again. If it's because God has led you to wandering around in circles, then you can be at peace and you can rest in the fact that God is still leading you. He's still guiding you. He's still directing you. He's still in control because you are following him in obedience. They were led by God. His presence was felt and and his presence should be felt in our life today. You can obey the Lord's command with confidence because he sees things you cannot see. He knows the Philistines that lay before you in your life that you don't even know what they are. And he said, Chuck, I see what's ahead. And if we went on a straight path, you would be destroyed. And so I'm going to take you on a detour. But it's okay because I'm still in control. And you come and follow me. Are you on a detour? It's okay. It's all good. Because it's all God. And we can be at peace with that. The next time we're going to look at, once we get off the detour, we get back on the right track. And then we come up against a dead end. And you go, what in the world is that all about? I had a wonderful conversation this past week with a guy who played for the Angels, and I had a great relationship with him, and he called me, and some of you may know David Eckstein and the Angels didn't offer him a contract, 
And he called me after he signed his contract with St. Louis. And he said, Chuck, he goes, you know, I've been asked over and over and over again. You know, people were devastated. It was like it was the end of the world. It was like I came into this dead end and God closed the door with me here in Anaheim. He said, but you know what? Regardless of what he decided to do, I've told people all along that God's not done with me. I came to a dead end, but you know what? I know that God always uses dead ends in my life. And every dead end I came to, he revealed something about himself and about me. And there was a blessing that I never would have experienced if I hadn't come to that dead end. And I said, man, brother, you know what? I'm going to use you as an illustration. Because I'm working right now in the middle of my sermon and I'm talking about Israel coming to a dead end and people are all freaking out. They get to the edge of the Red Sea and they're looking out there and they're going, let's see, we're going to drown or we're going to be killed. We're at a dead end. What's God going to do? Oh, guess what? You've got to come back next time to find out. <laughs> or you can read it on your own. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to uh, thank you for the discipline of detours in our life. That your ways are not ours. And that the boot camp of the wilderness is necessary to prepare us for your service. Heavenly Father, we praise you that there is no panic in heaven. Only plans. And we pray that our eyes are always fixed on Jesus. That our thoughts are always in your word. Our lips continue to praise your name. And our feet run from evil and remain on the path that you have ordained for us to travel. And God, most of all, that our hearts trust in you and that we love you with all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And God, it is my prayer that each one of us who hear these words that are on this detour become so desperate that we become totally dependent upon you. And it's in the wonderful name of our Savior, that wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that we pray these things. Amen.